0: Yeah, and the pads are opening soon.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think this weekend's going to be a bit interesting.
0: <laughs> I, I completely agree, and I have no idea what to do. Welcome to episode 17 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, the F is for well, you decide. As you may be asking yourself, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor Rockstar CMO and managing director of Apropingo, a London-based content marketing agency. You can find us at apropingo.com, or, well, you might be able to if I pick something easier to spell. Anyway, hello, and thank you for joining us. If you are a new listener, welcome, and I hope you stick around. If you're a regular here, well, thank you for your support. This episode was recorded on Friday, July the 3rd. The pubs are opening in London tomorrow, a cause for celebration for some. And I suspect when you hear this, the craziness that will no doubt ensue will be making global news. Wherever you are, if you've been to the pub or are planning to, or maybe that's not for you, I hope you're keeping safe and sane. This week, I'm sticking to the script. I'll take a look in the pages of rockstarcmo.com and suggest an article I would like you to take a look at. In the interview segment, I chat to Sally Yates, CMO of UK FinTech Vendor Exceptor and I'm again fortunate enough to be joining my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the virtual Rockstar CMO bar. Let's get started, shall we? Flicking through the virtual pages of Rockstar CMO this week, I'd very much like you to take a look at one of our contributors, anonymous, Named after the DJ Deadmouse who performs in a mask, he's our anonymous agency insider. I can confirm he's a he, but I will not be drawn on any other details. And his observations are always straight up and on the money. In the last issue, he talks about the obsession he's seen for management teams for hiring consultants and how it can betray an insecurity in a leadership team. I was a little conflicted by this when I first looked at it and it first hit my desk. I've been a consultant advisor, and I think having an outside in view from a consultant can be hugely beneficial. I think it's also one of the benefits that you bring as a new employee when you join a company. You still have that kind of outside in view. You're not institutionalized. And I think that point of view can really help. But what he's really driving at is hiring people that have the skills, knowledge or insight that you already have in your business. We've been there, you're ushered into the boardroom to listen to a well-paid consultant hired by your management team to tell you stuff that you already know, or maybe even have said yourself. But you have to watch your idiot boss nod along as if these same words being uttered by a prophet. But this article isn't really that. It's not really dinging consultancy culture in its entirety, What he's saying is is he's encouraging management teams to look inward for insight, then bring people in to fill the gaps. As he concludes, so listen to your people and do your job. Leave the consultancies to the stuff you truly don't know. I think these are wise words from my anonymous friend. I think we can all agree with that. I will, of course, include a link to the article in the show notes. All right, on with the interview. This week, I'm chatting to Sally Yates, the Chief Marketing Officer at Accepta, a fintech software house. Sally has successfully led both in-house and agency-side teams to deliver transformational results, working with Fortune 500 companies to early-stage, high-growth firms. She is passionate about marketing that makes a difference. And it was my first time chatting to Sally, and I really enjoyed meeting her, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. (laughs) Uh, Welcome Sally to Rockstar CMO FM.
1: Uh, Thanks very much Ian, lovely to be here.
0: And how are you? How are you coping in lockdown pandemic?
1: Yeah, no, it's all good. It's, um, you know, the new normal, isn't it? So uh, it's been a few Mm -hmm. months now, so I think we're all got some sort of routine. There's a little bit of a groundhog day to it, but um, things are are, are gradually changing and we were allowed to do a little bit more, you know, Mm -hmm. take it as it comes.
0: Yeah, and the pads are opening soon.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think this weekend's <laughs> going to be a bit interesting.
0: <laughs> I I completely agree, and I have no idea what to do myself. I'm um, what,
1: stay away.
0: Yeah, and I think um, listeners can tell from your accent you're in the UK, same as myself, right? Absolutely. And, and you're down there in in beautiful Surrey.
1: That's it. Not far from London. Um, yeah, plenty of green spaces, so lots of opportunity for cycling, walks, and so
0: on. Nice. We're very lucky. Very very nice. I know it very well. So, um, so Sally, t- uh, for, for the uh, listeners that aren't familiar with your work, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: So, um, I suppose I've, I've made my career in sort of financial services, technology and, and software. Um, I've worked both agency side and corporate um, with both large, well-established sort of Fortune 500 companies right through to sort of smaller, nimble fintechs. Um, I've also been poacher-turned-gamekeeper, so I've moved (laughs) from a journalist um, to a PR to a a marketer, Mm -hmm. and um, I suppose a a passion for writing runs through all of that, Um, and being a big writer makes me a big reader, basically anything I can lay my hands on, Um, and I suppose I'm always looking to see how we can do things better, and also challenging Mm -hmm. my team to do things better.
0: Mm, that's splendid. I'm I'm the same I mean, you, I know that we're not gonna share the video when we publish the podcast, but you can see behind me all my marketing books. I've got another pile over here that I haven't read and I hate it when anybody recommends a book on um on LinkedIn or Twitter and it's somebody I know and I think, yeah, I've got to buy that. And it's just like, I have a compulsion. I don't know about you, but yes, books, fantastic. Um, and tell us a bit about Acceptor. I'm pronouncing that correctly, I think. Right?
1: Yeah, it is Acceptor, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're a, a, a global business. Um, we're in um, automation software. So if you think sort of data, artificial intelligence, sort of like machine learning, um, NLP, um, it's all about no code and um, sort of like automating complex processes. Um, we're a banking financial services and insurance specialist uh, with offices in London, New York, Singapore. But basically our software works in any sector and for that we tend to partner with the likes of EY and, and Cognizant and they bring their sector expertise to that. Um, we've been around a while. We're a high growth business, um, typically sort of like forty percent year on year growth. Uh, we've still got big ambitions, and yeah. uh, we've got some really great client credentials. So, sort of think you know, City, HSBC, Metro Bank, and many more.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because um, fintech is such a growing space, isn't it? And uh, quite quite exciting. And you do have. You do have those clients, then when I looked at your products i was I was wondering you answered the question about whether it's something that could be applied for other verticals, but you sort of get known for something, don't you in a particular vertical and it's best to stick stick to it, i guess isn't it from from that perspective and um right now, I mean we mentioned just 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 a moment ago about where we are in the pandemic and the pubs pubs opening and stuff but really from a serious perspective as a leader within the business and um and as a marketer how are, how have you been handling the pandemic how you how have you been handling how you work how you message
1: um so I suppose um first and foremost for us it's been about the people you know it, it's new for everyone so um I suppose for us as a software business the the pivot of of how we're now working was um easier um, for us as a business, but also um, across the business, it's easier for some of our people than others. You know, some are in small London flats with no balconies, no outside spaces. You know, they're sharing it with their girlfriends and boyfriends. And so it's who gets the lounge and who gets the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, there's others that, you know, absolutely everyone can have a room, loads of space, uh, no problem at all. You know, there's the logistical bits. Um, I think for our clients, it was a, it was a bit like that as well. Um, some have massive offshore businesses. And so, um you know, sort of like continuity there, you know, having sufficient sort of broadband capacity and everything was you know, a real challenge. Um, I think from a sort of, um, I mean, I'll say we're lucky, you know, our the teams are pulled together. We have a strong business model. We have a high recurring revenue. We've kept on hiring. So we've had like a really positive message for um, our people and that's given them a lot of confidence. Um, Yeah. I think from a marketing perspective, that's also meant that, you know, our budgets haven't been challenged. So we've been able to continue doing what we're doing. Um, We um, have a, a, a really good MarTech stack for me it's all about data and automation um so we've continued with uh, a lot of the campaigns and um, we've been doing obviously we've had to pivot from things like industry events but you know um that's sort of so we sort of brought on a new webinar webinar platform to uh-huh. improve the, the user experience um, make it feel more like an event um But like I say, a lot of the campaigns and programs we were already planning, um, Mm -hmm. we've been able to continue with and and, and strengthen those and everything. Right,
0: right, right. So, uh, yeah, so a, a good news story, really, in your industry, by the sounds of things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We understand the importance, you know, staying front of mind is really, really important, you know, to continue to sort of build that confidence and trust in your business. And, and, and we've been able to do that. And we've had the support of the business to do that as well.
0: Yeah. And what about socially within the, within the organization? A lot of people talking about how particularly the more junior, younger people get a little bit disconnected from the business without going to the office. They don't have the same mentorship. How have you worked through that with your team?
1: Um, so we have, you know, daily daily catch ups. We also yeah. have um, the, the the wider Friday Friday sort of bring your own bottle drinks. Uh, nice. Friday afternoon. So we we connect with you know the the wider sort of revenue generation team of like sales, account management, partnership team, mm-hmm. and everything. So you know anyone and everyone can turn up. So there's no obligation yeah. to turn up and you know drink a bottle of wine every every nice. Friday. But you're welcome. Nice um and yeah i mean other groups you know they've done sort of like bingo sessions um mm-hmm. people have had competitions as to like you know who can have the best background, <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's the background and everything. yeah um, yeah yeah oh, that, so you've really made an effort then to keep that social bond together then
1: yeah it's really important. I mean, the other thing we've yeah. done as well in terms of from a leadership perspective is we've um increased the frequency of our um company meetings and yeah. we've also made it so it's not just the leadership team that are contributing to that. You know, we know we've brought out right. who's who's contributing to that and and nice. and made sure you know other people were hearing other voices as
0: well yeah nice nice and I also think um knowing a little bit about this the what you guys are like in London around the financial um area come four o'clock on a Friday afternoon and I'm sure <laughs> you seem to have perpetuated that continued stereotype of, like, of replacing the pub with a zoom call and a bottle of wine so that sounds fantastic
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely and it's like people showing off their they're sort of like different gardens and or or not as the place may be
0: Nice. Um, now you're in a really hot space, right? FinTech, especially in London, is is crazy. There's there's a ton of uh, companies out there. But from a marketing perspective, um, and and as you said, you're already very established. But still, there must be disruptors looking looking to you. You've got these great clients. But how do you continually stand out from the noise? How do you how do you stay relevant to your audience?
1: Um, well, as I say, I mean, as a as a fintech, you know, we're we're well established, but the, the mm-hmm. sort of space we operate in is, you know, as a software business, um, there are many, many much bigger players than us with much bigger budgets. Um, and so, therefore, it, it comes to that, that sort of remembering that you're actually a challenger brand. Um, yeah. And I've seen brands that have wanted to pretend they're more grown up um, and mm-hmm. have been around for a lot longer than they have. And they kind of have become a bit of a, a me too. Yeah. Um, so, so for us, it's about standing toe to toe, but you know, taking the same thing but being a bit more interesting. So, yeah. for example, earlier this um, this past year, we were at a big financial services event um, called Cybos. Um, it was in London, first time for forty years, um, and and this is a huge, huge, huge event. And um, you know, it's like over three hundred exhibitors, and you've got big banks there, big firms, and everything, and everyone wants to do an event. Um, but it's like, how do you get people from the Excel to the centre of town to so the more interesting? Yeah.
0: God, yeah, to it's to not happen? even in London, is it? It doesn't feel like you're in London. You go no. all that way.
1: No. So, so what we did is, it was actually when um, the um, government was prorogued. So mm-hmm. we actually um, had some branded taxis. We had branded taxis running from the Excel centre and from Canary Wharf. We took them to a, a private pier um, about nice. seven minutes from the Excel. We had two yeah. boats, took them down um, the river with champagne, mm-hmm. of course, because we're in Banking. Um, and then, you know, small walk across the road to the Houses of Parliament, um, tours of the Houses of Lords and the House of Commons, and then drinks and food in the private member's dining room.
0: Oh, splendid.
1: So, you know, that created a lot of buzz, a lot of talk yeah. and, and everything. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's doing something really, really well, having that sort of destination venue yeah.
0: sort
1: of stand out piece that even if you are normally based in London, you'd still want to go to it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many of us just commute and don't bother looking around once we're, once we're there. So that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and, and hopefully one day we'll be back to doing such things, right? So
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, that's what you've got to, you've got to aim for, haven't you? You know, yeah, it might be in a, in a smaller way or a everything mm-hmm. but you know at the end of the day humans are social beings and they yeah. you know, they want that interaction and we absolutely.
0: just do it slightly absolutely. Different. well so what inspired you to get into marketing in the first place we sort of touched a little bit on your um history and a little bit before i hit record um so what did marketing chose you or did you choose marketing from the beginning
1: i think for me the whole thing with marketing is there's l- many different aspects to it mm-hmm. um and so, you know, there is the writing, there is the creativity, there is the, the business aspect to it. Um, mm-hmm. There is the, um, you know, getting to know your customers and, 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 and finding those needs. There's, there's lots yeah. of different facets to it. But yes, yeah. I did go down, you know, I've been at various points in my career, I've done the old Myers Briggs and everything to check Yeah. You know, and everything. Yeah. And, and apparently I should be doing marketing in like a software it's business. Limited
0: i have got this weird result I, i'm an introvert that gets their energy from people oh wow so how that and that hasn't really helped in lockdown right so that's like, no. No. so on the one hand i should be perfectly happy with being locked down but i get my energy from people so i don't know what to to do but yeah i can't remember what it was after that but um it's those those things are really interesting aren't they when you go through them
1: you know they're really interesting. I, we 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 did a session the other day, and uh, one one guy who's an introvert um, sort of turned around and said, "Yeah, actually, lockdown's been really difficult for me as an introvert." He said because I'm yeah. constantly on a screen in front of people,
0: oh, I'm finding I see. it
1: really yeah. difficult to yeah, yeah. have my sort of recovery time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think as well um, for introverts is um, because everybody's saying switch to virtual, switch to social media, switch to being more present on LinkedIn. I think those places present a problem if you're an introvert as well, because you don't want to butt into this big conversation that's going on. And, you know, you sort of think, well, I'm not Gary Vee and I feel like an idiot and all those sorts of things. So, yeah, I think I think that's probably, I think it's interesting that you'd think that lockdown would be great for introverts and it really isn't. No. <laughs> and it's terrible for extroverts. So. Lockdown is just terrible for human beings, then, I think. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so um, when I was looking through your career on LinkedIn, because you and I haven't spoken before, um, I saw a lot of um, references to analyst relationships and influencer marketing, which has been quite a hot topic on Rockstar CMO from time to time. And, you know, obviously last year's a bubble burst on B2C influencer marketing and stuff. But I think it's an important part of B2B marketing as a B2B marketer myself. So what are your tips to B2B marketers around that whole topic? Because I think nowadays, right, analyst relations and influencer marketing is kind of squished. They're the same practice, really, aren't they? So what do you what do you think? So,
1: it's interesting because um, very often when you start, you know, you sort of mention analyst relations and you're talking mm-hmm. to other people in the business about it, there's still this perception that it's a pay-for-play.
2: You oh, know, my God, yeah. You yeah, have yeah, to go yeah. and have a subscription.
0: Yeah. And, of course, yeah.
1: it's, it's far from it. Um, yeah. So vendor briefings are actually the, an essential part of any good analyst's day-to-day. Um yeah. And a good analyst needs to know who the key players are in their sectors. Yeah. And they're always changing sectors as well. And you can't yeah. expect them to actually know everyone in those sectors. So it's actually your job to get in front of them, make yeah. sure that they're constantly hearing from you. Yeah. Um, and, and to also understand that they actually have influence right across the buying cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously as marketers it's the whole buying cycle for us. It's not just the sales cycle. So the analyst is yeah. there right at the beginning um yeah. creating RFIs, RFPs, you know, building shortlists. Um, but they're also that sort of um, third-party independent validation because, like, trust is a huge thing. And it's like it's not just us saying that we're great. There's these other people that really know the market that are saying, yeah, we, we've looked at this independently. We've talked to their customers. We've talked to yeah. other people. We've seen the software. We've looked into it. And, and we're happy yeah. to talk it and, and, and recognize yeah, yeah. it.
0: Yeah, and I guess in financial services, um, you, you've probably got quite a conservative buyer. So that kind of trust and credibility is is incredibly valuable in selling into that market, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a it's a conservative buyer. Um, it's also a long buying cycle. It's a complex buying matrix. It's very often a C-suite sign-off. Um, you know, so if you're going to put your name behind, say, buying, except that you want – that, you know, you want to believe that it's it's a good bet, that, you know, your trust is yeah. well-placed.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I talk about that from time to time because people don't seem to think the B2B um, buying process or, or sale is emotional, and I think it is. I think it's incredibly emotional for those buyers. The pressure that's on them in terms of their career, in terms of what their peers think, is way more than, I don't know, if I went and bought a car, even though a car would be a very expensive purchase at home you know my, what my wife thinks of that is one thing right but that whole b2b experience incredibly emotional
1: yeah no absolutely i i agree people do think you know it, it, emotional part is, is a really small part of b2b but i think yeah great it's, it's, it's a much much bigger part um yeah, yeah nowadays people want that affinity
2: with the yeah, brand yeah.
1: you know they want the yeah. association um and i think you know particularly in our space you know like i say with you know automation and ai and everything it's like am i getting the right mix the, the right
0: part yeah. Of the future. yeah 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 and especially when you're a challenger brand because presumably there are much bigger names where an executive could just you know like the old i think it's a 30 year old expression isn't it that nobody gets fired for buying ibm there's always that in every software category isn't there a dominant player that people feel less risky about signing for how do you deal with that in your space i mean you must see that all the time
1: yeah, we, we we do see that, and obviously, again, one of the challenges we have is because of the space we operate in. A lot of people won't actually give you those external clients, um, mm-hmm. sort of quotes and case studies. Um, yeah,
0: they love reading them, though, don't they? They, lo- they do. Whenever, whenever, whenever you're a vendor selling to the market, the, the the potential client wants references. They want to see case studies, and then when you sell it and you say, to them "Can we have a reference or a case study?" They're like, "Oh no!"
1: <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we have, you know, we haven't lost a client. We have clients that will mm-hmm. give you know, sales references and everything. Right. We do have, you know, some clients, We, but we do have, you know, the likes of like Forrest and HFS research and everything that actually yeah. say, you know, yeah, we've looked at acceptor, you know, that they're, they're good at this. This is what they're good for. Um, yeah. And, and, and likewise, you know, we understand why people are, are looking at, you know, Peer brands. I mean, part of our challenge is you know, you could be a competitor as well as a partner, as yeah. well as a peer, you know, yeah. it depends on what yeah. sort of day of the week and, and, and who you're talking <laughs> to. So, <laughs> and the
0: um, exact solution, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. um, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and um, you actually, um, except uh, you actually have a, have a, a podcast and a blog and doing my research, I, I was listening to your podcast. Um, I was interested in a comment, because data is something that always comes up. So I not only do I do this, I host executive dinner sometimes. Um, and when I talk to senior executives in businesses, there's always a number of popular topics like silos and like data. Now, from your perspective, and I thought this was a really interesting phrase that came out of the last episode of your podcast, was about data as a Corporate asset. Tell us a little bit about that and how how you how you see that because that's really relevant to us marketers, right?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, um, within within cetera, I'm known for like data being one of my mantras um, <laughs> or hobby horse, as it? I was uh, accused the other day, um, and, and everyone gets that sort of you know bad data equals bad decisions, and and yeah. people get that, but what they're probably not as good at understanding. Is that it really does all start with the data, and actually everyone's responsible for that data. And what uh-huh. I find is people are, are very keen to hand off that responsibility to to other people. You know, um, quite often they're very keen to hand it to marketing departments. You know, particularly those with database administrators. Oh, there we go. You know, you handle the data, and it's like, well, no. If if you're the salesperson or you're the account management person, and you're the one talking to the client you're the one that needs to, you know, update that piece of data. We'll update the data where we have those touch points, but it's mm-hmm. right across the business, you know, mm-hmm. from the support desk to, mm-hmm. um, you know, your finance department and everything. And I suppose it goes back to things like looking at things like Salesforce as, a, as an actual CRM as yes. opposed to a sales tool or, yes. you know, something that I just put sales data in and everything. And yeah. it's, it is it's always a cultural shift because, you know, people don't find it very exciting, you know, keeping data up to date.
0: Yes, but um, they do find, they, yeah, but when they're looking for something, they find it very exciting. So I've always had that challenge. Now, I'm not going to draw you on this because I don't want to get you in trouble. But I'm, I've I've always had that challenge where... Um, salespeople go into the CRM and they're looking for something and you and they're looking for reference. Who's referenceable? Marketing, tell me who's referenceable. Well, you guys in the sales team and the customer services team, you know who's referenceable. So keep the CRM up to date. <laughs> and know, then we'd <laughs> all and
1: could you please ask more people if they were yeah. you know like, yeah, can yeah. we get references of these people? It's like, well, I don't know. Well, have we asked? You know, okay. it, it, like, let, let's keep asking. Let's ask in different ways. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's do a softer ask. You know,
0: um, have you ever tried putting it in the contract?
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> no. We we now have. I that. guess
0: redlined like before you even.
1: <laughs> yes. Again, one of my not, that, another little challenge that we, we yeah. like to have. Yeah. Don't give it away straight away, please. Um,
0: yeah.
1: But yeah, no. For us, it's like you know, the, the classic ask always used to be the press release, didn't it?
0: Yeah. And it's just like
1: I'd I'd rather have a video interview or a case study Mm -hmm. or something like that, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, by the time a press release has gone through 42 iterations in the big (sighs) corporate, it's not that interesting, read.
0: No, absolutely. Whereas a two minute video. And, re- and really all the the buyer is looking for is that validity aren't they of here's a here's a credible person representing a credible brand who's saying credible things it's not going to take them an hour and a half to say that it's just a minute on video and and, and you're good or or like the the wonderful sort of video case studies which are these wonder, wonderful sweeping views of their headquarters and there's really I mean, let's get to the point where somebody speaks you know i mean five minutes yeah. in
1: yeah well now <laughs> it could be a talking head wouldn't it on zoom or something
0: yeah well now you're helping me with my uh, hobby horses so i'm gonna i'm <laughs> gonna t- t- take and take my time with that now and um, talking about the fact i mean we are talking on a podcast and um Uh, We're we're only, what are we, 15, 16 episodes in? So I can't talk, I can't refer to myself as much of a podcasting expert, I guess. But um, it's something you guys have been doing. And I think it's something that's slowly gaining traction amongst B2B vendors and B2B marketers. What was your experience, and what would you recommend to other people thinking of putting on a corporate podcast?
1: I think first and foremost, you know, go for it. You know, if, you've, if you've generally got something to say and you've generally got an angle and you can see a really good theme for, for a podcast, go for it. Um, but if you generally are struggling to, to, mm-hmm. to work out what your genre would be or anything, then mm-hmm. maybe
0: now is not the time to, to do it. <laughs>
1: Um, and I think it's the same with any piece of content, isn't
0: it? I was going to say the same. You took the words right out of my mouth there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, you've, you've, you've got a plan for it. You've got to yeah. make it good. It's got to be worth listening to, you yeah. know. Otherwise, it's yeah. just a, a really big exercise in producing something that gets buried.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I always, when I was a CMO, I always had this thing where I'd ask why all the time, just drove everybody nuts. Why are we doing that? Why are we producing that? Why, You know, and you've got to think about that all the time and think about, well, who the audience is. I mean, there's no point in us being on TikTok, right? <laughs>
1: <'Cause> no, no.
0: <laughs> you got to no. know where your audience are and what, what they're interested in.
1: I mean, I don't know about you. When we, when we launched our podcast, um, there was, um, you know, obviously there's traditional places where, you know, um, people go for their podcasts. Well, for our audience, um, they don't go there. We have a disproportionate number of people listening to the, book, to the podcast on their PCs at work.
0: Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah! yeah,
1: yeah uh, wow. you know, and and go to it, going to it through Bing.
0: Yeah,
1: Bing! So, oh my gosh! So I, I kid you not, financial services, yeah. um, you know, B two um, B, because what they don't do is they just don't change the browser when they get a new laptop.
0: Wow, and there is talk, isn't there, that that for certain demographics, advertising on Bing is is just it it just it kills uh, compared to anything else. Yeah, it's
1: one of one of yeah. our best channels. It really is. Really,
0: yeah, I don't think I've doing? I don't think I've even looked at Bing for for anything. I'll I'll have to reconsider that, especially if I'm going to sell some fintech software.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and obviously, it's a, a lot more cost effective than Google
0: yeah absolutely absolutely um and well um this is really fascinating and finally uh, i wanted to mention to you a feature that we have for rockstar cmo that you're probably familiar with that we call the swimming pool which is our portal to hell for all the bullshit and snake oil that's collected around our industry and i'm sure you're familiar with a few of those things and um, what would you nominate that we chuck into that swimming pool
2: so
1: i mean obviously bad data Has got to go in there. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Also, one of my pet hits has always been um, I think this comes from the time when I worked in PR was marketing speak.
0: Oh, lovely.
1: Really weird, sort of Victoriana, long winded, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I could use 15 words, let's do Mm -hmm. that. Three is no good. Yes. 15.
0: Yes.
1: Um, And then I I suppose the other thing is like, for, for marketers who only will ever want to tell you how well they're doing in, again, um, terms only marketing people understand. And <laughs> metrics that marketing people understand. <laughs> if you can't fit business, then
0: keep I'm always a big fan of that. And anybody who listens to to what I talk about, I'm always talking about encouraging marketers to speak in the language of the C-suite. So, you know, for my own when my day job, if you like, um, I'm always talking about awareness, revenue, and trust. And marketing is about that. And if you don't think about those things, you're going to get replaced by a chief growth officer, right? Because Mm -hmm. suddenly we've got this new role rising. And people that are listening to this podcast and have listened to it before (laughs) will already know this rant. Um, but you know, if you're a CMO that doesn't focus on those things. And, and talks in their mealy words that the C-suite doesn't understand, Then they're going to find some guy or gal that calls himself a chief growth officer and goes, I think that's what I need.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we've, um, well, thank you for letting me air some of my hobby horses. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the conversation, and yeah, it was no, a pleasure absolutely. to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you so
1: much. I yeah. yeah, really appreciate your time, definitely. Yeah, thank, you good good
0: good. Good. Bye. thank you, Sally. I will, of course, be sharing all the links that we've referred to, plus Sally's contact details in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. I don't know about you, but I've had a long week. I can't complain about it, as I have some lovely clients, but it's definitely time for a cocktail. And as the real bars are still on lockdown, it's time to ease into the weekend in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar with my friend Robert Rose. See what he's drinking and what thought he will leave us with this week. You know he can play piano, right? Good evening, Robert. Good to see you. What are you drinking?
2: Oh, it's good to see you too, my friend. So this is a fun one. We mm. have a fun drink this week. Um, this, so when I was a kid, my dad used to make a drink every Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a well-known cocktail in the world of bars. It's called a Salty Dog. Uh-huh. Um, and you may be familiar with it because, it, of course, it's, the main component of it is gin. Um, <laughs> this is my take on the salty dog because, of course, I mostly drink tequila. Yes. Uh, and so I call this the Pero Callejero. Uh, ah. which translates roughly in Spanish to street dog, wow. which, is a, which is how I typically will introduce myself. I am a dog of the street. <laughs> so um, it's how I got my education. Uh, it, mm-hmm. is, it is basically how I grew up. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea here is, is that it's uh, uh, not gin. In this mm-hmm. case, it will be tequila, mm-hmm. um, which then is mixed with grapefruit juice, Um, a little salt, Mm -hmm. um, and then a salted rim on the glass, and two jalapenos to put in there. Now, some of you, your more passionate cocktail listeners out there might say, well, that's a Paloma. It is a Paloma. Usually a Paloma doesn't have the jalapenos in there, um, and it's my drink, so shut up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My rules, my bar. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I like that. I like that. All right. So um, you've decided not to use gin. Uh, let me see what I've got here. Oh, yeah. I have uh, yes. So this week, you'll be pleased. Now I don't have Hendrix. That uh, I have uh, Bombay Sapphire. So uh, yeah. Ah. Yeah. I, so I, I right. do have gin, So so and also possibly because I probably can't pronounce the name of the drink that you just made. It's probably better that I stick to the English version anyway. So let's uh, let's have a look. So I've got some gin. Uh, Let's let's stick a ah ice. Did you put ice in it?
2: Uh, There is ice in this, yes.
0: Oh splendid. A bit of ice. Uh, Some oh, nice measure of gin. And then what was it? What, What else did you put into that?
2: There was some jalapenos in there as well, which I'm in in London. I'm assuming you're probably not going to find many of
0: those. Um, well, not on my desk, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I if I if I was to muddle them with the other ingredients, would that taste anything like tonic?
2: It might. It oh, might. It, it might. I have tonic. Good.
0: All right, let's give this a go.
2: Oh, that is nice. That's very nice, Robert. And and what did you say it was called? That is the well. I'm I'm calling it the Perro callejero. Oh man, I could listen. To, I could Roughly listen. translates to street dog.
0: Yeah, I could listen to you say street dog in Spanish. <laughs> yeah. You've got you've definitely got the accent there. And um and what better way to be called a street dog? What's that? What better way to be called a street dog? if any...
2: Well, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be called a street dog, you might as well do it with one of these in your ear.
0: Yeah, exactly. And um, it's it's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, um, so a couple of old street dogs like ourselves. Where are we hanging out to drink this one?
2: Well, here there's I've got a, a great place this week where mm-hmm. we should go, um, which is and, and of course, uh, for your listeners, they may or may not know that I grew up in Texas. Right. Um, and there go are. Cowboys. Yes, thank you very much. Um, thank you very much. And so, uh, I, you know, I would take us to the hill country of mm-hmm. Austin, um, mm-hmm. which is just outside of Austin, um, mm-hmm. and uh, there's some beautiful places there to sit in a lake. Um, and what I would do is I would find us the scrappiest uh, little Mexican food place on a lake ah. somewhere in the hill country of Austin, and we would have some great Mexican food and yeah. drink about. Uh, five or six of these. That so, yeah.
0: sounds splendid. That sounds yeah. absolutely splendid. I, um, I, I've i actually been to Austin. Uh, I used to work for Vignette, who are based in Austin. And um, my, my, my day year was made. And I don't know how appropriate this story is, because I got called a gringo. And growing up in the UK and seeing all the cowboy films and actually somebody calling me that, I was absolutely delighted. I don't think it was meant as a term of affection, but um, I think I, that, that, that was uh, I was pretty much a salty dog that day <laughs> 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 so if I've offended anybody by saying that I got delighted by being called that I apologise but uh, English boy wandering around Austin finding his way around for the first time uh, and, uh, and suddenly finding yourself starring in your own little cowboy film that's quite fun <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well that happens a lot in texas yeah you can you can find yourself starring in any number of cowboy films if you're uh as you're traversing the texas countryside yeah and
0: also i understand that austin isn't really texas is it it's um
2: that is correct yeah. there is a a dome that has emerged that uh, austin is its own yeah. its own personality for for sure yeah. um and uh texas has uh, has has changed quite a bit um in, in, in the intervening years since i left i think it's all because i left basically but, um, uh, <laughs>
0: they, they just yeah. thought they better sort their house out That's while right. you're gone <laughs> the sorty dogs out <laughs> <laughs> well um, yeah I, I, it's, it sounds like a great location and i would happily drink a few of those up up in those hills um, but uh, while we're while we're sipping away, what what would you what thought would I be left with as I uh, try and find my way back to the city?
2: You know, there's something that I've been exploring a lot of late. Mm-hmm. And it comes out of my work with uh, as many of the uh, investment, you know, sort of institutional investment companies that I've been doing work with and and there is a new uh, standard of measurement. And you've been hearing, I mean, certainly, Aside from the obvious news that has been of late, um, this was something that was happening on the investment side of the world, which is looking at new ways to measure the success or potential success of companies, um, which is ESG. They call it ESG uh, for short, which is environmental, social, Ah, and governance, which is looking at companies based on their their good citizenship, Mm -hmm. ostensibly. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, are they a good corporate citizen? Do they have transparent governance? Are they doing good things for the environment? And are they doing uh, good things by their employees and partners and vendors? Wow. And they're grading companies on this because they're drawing some correlation between financial success and the, you know, metrics of ESG. And I have to start to think that we in marketing, mm-hmm. um, especially in promotional marketing, will start to be graded on some of these things as well. It just has to trickle down as right. this becomes a more popular way of uh, assessing stock price and investment dollars. yeah. Um, and so that is starting to become something really interesting to me of 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 what does marketing look like when measurement evolves from simply, um. You know something. You know how much revenue can we drive for? How little money do we spend to do that? Yeah. Into something more interesting, which is how do we help the company become a better corporate world citizen? Yeah. yeah. And that's a that's an interesting shift in marketing metrics that I think. If we can get a handle on now, we'll be ahead of the game,
0: yeah, and um i've I've often had this thought as well, is that if you pull the amount of money we all spend on advertising and marketing and if just a small percentage of that was put to put to good uh, and and okay, maybe it'll raise some metric within our company that we're doing good, that's that's that would be amazing,
2: yeah, exactly right yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it is something that will I think permanently change the way that we look at marketing Mm -hmm. um and if this be you know and i think you know even given the world events right now i think will that's a change that will that may be accelerated based on Uh, uh, based on what's happening right
0: now yeah yeah and um it's also a reaction against what a lot of people have seen right now isn't it is the is the the fake empathy the woke washing and all that and the brand purpose bollocks right is it it it's it's a it's a it's a proper way of measuring than that and who, who's doing that is that is that um who who are the arbiters it? who's doing the measurement how does that work
2: you know it's a it's a it's a you know and funny enough it's spreading much faster in europe than it is here in the mm-hmm. states um that is not uncommon of course where europe and and is much further ahead than in most um things <laughs> in the u.s these days mm-hmm. um i'm going to have to accept uh the uk out of that of course my friend because you know uh the uk is doing equally stupid things these days but
0: um aside from that
2: any aside from the politics there i think from the
0: liberal the liberal nature of our um societies i certainly would agree with
2: you on that, something like that yes um Anyway, the, 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 the real key here is is that the ESG grades are being um, built really custom built by mm-hmm. many of these investment firms but the biggest investment firms on the planet are really doing this from right? right. Goldman Sachs to um, Black, uh, BlackRock to Schwab right. to, to you know um, you know even some of the, the, the larger European companies they're, they're all starting to build ESG portfolios mm-hmm. um, that are outperforming the market. And so they're all assembling their own sort of metrics to it, but it all has some combination of, uh, you know, good corporate citizenship, their attention to purpose, um, Mm -hmm. which has of course become a big deal in brand. Mm -hmm. um, And then um, their alignment with governance and transparency and the way that they manage data, the way that they manage security, the the way they manage corporate finance um, and transparency there. And then of course their treatment of employees and vendors and all of that. Um, Yeah, it's a a fascinating deal.
0: Yeah, really interesting because it's also, I mean, uh, of course, you know, investors are attracted to something that shows that uh, a stock is going to go up. But um, it's uh, I think that that's going to be great for employees to have a look at where they should work and all sorts of things like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be. It's going to be a really interesting thing as these companies begin to reap the benefits of investment, um, you know, yeah. from their stock perspective, as as yeah. well as from a venture perspective, yeah. how they'll start to shift strategies on, you know, what becomes the priority. You know, it used to, of course, be the two things that the C-suite cared about were revenue and cost. Yeah. I Those things are not going to be number one and number two anymore. Okay. They may, there certainly will be there, but, but. You know, as we start looking at ESG and other types of programs that look at companies from a new purpose driven standpoint, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see a lot of opportunity to shift everything that we're doing in marketing.
0: Yeah. And I, and um, one of the things I think we, we've we probably talked about is uh, certainly one of the things that I, I talk about when I talk about the role of the CMO is that is getting aligned with what the C-suite care about. And so if, the, if the C-suite are going to care about these things, absolutely, to your point, we need to get ahead of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there. very interesting. Very interesting. Always very interesting when we share a couple of cocktails. Well, that's regardless of where we are. So that was that was fantastic. Thank you very much.
2: Absolutely, my pleasure.
0: And when uh, people spin the dial of the old interwebs, where will they find you, my friend?
2: Well, thank you very much for asking that. You know, you can find me at my little home. <laughs> um, my little company on the web, which is TCA, the content advisory, which you can get to by simply going to contentadvisory.net mm-hmm. uh, and, or I would love to chat with anybody on social, uh, I'm on the Twitter, um, and on the LinkedIn, um, on both. And I'm really easy to find on both you are, of those. Just do a are, quick you're, search.
0: You're underscore Rose, and avoid the other one. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> alright well thank you very much and I look forward to seeing you next week down in the bar
2: absolutely cheers my friend cheers mate bye bye
0: thank you Robert and aside from indulging me on this podcast Robert hosts two of my favourite podcasts This Old Marketing with his pal Joe Polizzi and The Weekly Rap, both easy to find on all good podcasting platforms and some rubbish ones too All right, then that's it. The end of episode 17. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Thanks again to Robert, to Sally and to our wonderful Rockstar CMO contributing community and to you for listening. I must also mention Dennis Hsiao, regular contributor here and friend of the show, who on Twitter rather wonderfully last week offered to start a crowd fund to improve my liquor collection. I don't really know what he means, but yes, please send more gin. Anyway, thank you, Dennis. When she was young and I tried to explain Twitter, my youngest daughter once described my social media strategy as, you are just shouting into the void, Daddy. So I'd love to get your feedback so I can gain some respect from the junior Gary V at our dining table. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com or at rockstarcmo on Twitter and LinkedIn, or drop us a like or a review in your preferred podcasting platform. <music> Next week, I'm hoping to chat to Jasmine Martirosian, VP Marketing at Tufsood Americas. I'm hoping I'm saying some of that right. She's a long standing member of our Rockstar CMO community, but we only know each other at social media and email distance. So I'm looking forward to chatting to her. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of RockstarCMO.com. And I look forward to sharing our little show with you next week here at Rockstar CMO FM.
2: in an attempt to uncover all the ways, influence, impacts, how, and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other. Wow. And where can people subscribe? Go to theartofswaypodcast.com, find the show at marketingpodcasts.net, or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.